Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. ES Audio. Hello, I'm Nick Curtis, the Evening Standard's Chief Theatre Critic. I'm Nancy Durrant, Culture Editor. And I'm Nick Clark, Deputy Culture Editor. And this is the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Coming up... We review Tony Award-winning The Lehman Trilogy at the Gillian Lynn Theatre. There he is, silent, still, just off the bolt, wearing his best shoes. The ones he'd never worn. The ones he'd kept in storage for that moment when I will be in America. Directed by Academy Award, Tony Award and Golden Globe winner Sam Mendes. Plus, we'll be speaking to Rob Madge for the West End show My Sons Are Queer, But What Can You Do? Anything that's on now at the Ambassador's Theatre. But let's kick off with our first review. It's Titus Andronicus at the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse at Shakespeare's Globe. So after a 10-year war, Roman general Titus Andronicus has returned triumphant to Rome. With him are the spoils of war. He's brought back the Queen of the Goths, Tamora, and her sons. When he arrives back, he is offered to become the Emperor of Rome. He declines. He's had enough of war and public office. So he defers in favour of Saturninus. And let's face it, after that decision, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, it doesn't go well for anyone in this play, does it? <laughs> I mean, this is, uh, there's a reason that Titus Andronicus is fairly rarely, uh, rarely revived. The Globe did a very famous production of it some years back, which they brought back many, many times, which had people fainting in the pit it was it was very bloody very um, yes lucy very bailey's gory. 2014 production absolutely yeah. so so yeah i have to admit i had not seen titus andronicus before but my only interaction w- uh, with it was when i was at the indie i um did a news story on the amount of casualties in the audience yeah. because it was so bloody what's interesting about this production is it goes completely the opposite way there is no blood and guts there That's is right. no gore they have completely done away with it because this uh, this play for those who don't know it is uh, does feature some absolutely horrible stuff i don't know if we can if we can do any spoilers here but there are mutilations there are 14 deaths more or less of greater or lesser brutality or, and viciousness and, and goriness and here this production decides to sort of bypass all that which yes. lucy bailey's production didn't particularly uh, the the wanamaker as listeners may or may not know is an entirely candlelit playhouse which makes it a rather magical space the director here jude christian and her 
co-designers Rose L. Neal and Grace Fenning have decided to use this as a metaphor. So each death is represented by a candle being uh, put out. So I think I referred to it in my review as snuff theatre. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) This does lead to sort of slightly extreme and strange things happening on stage. So candles being attacked with power drills or mallets um, or blowtorches. Did it work for you as a a metaphor? I, I like the concept. It's the idea of, you know, this, the life force being snuffed out. And there's one moment for me that it was absolutely brilliant. And I won't say who or when, because I think audiences should find it for themselves. But there's a moment when a candle is blown out and it's so violent that it really sort of shocked me. The problem comes with the rest of the deaths and the mutilations because it becomes a bit more specific. Candles are drilled uh, with power drills or they're hacked apart with knives or they're broke, snapped in two. And you're just sitting there thinking, it's not, it's a candle. Yeah, I'm not, that's not visceral at all to me. It doesn't work at all. And you do end up thinking about the candles too much. They try and really lean into the absurdity and the comedy of it. They do. You could certainly say that uh, Titus Andronicus is a play about toxic masculinity and male violence. It's it's, it's a very, very, very brutal play about power struggles, largely between men, although Tamora or Tamara, as they refer to her in this production, uh, also gets a few licks in as well, doesn't she? She's by no means a blameless character. Absolutely. Um, Actually, one thing we really should say about this is that it's an all-female or all-non-binary cast as well. I have absolutely no problem with with all-female cast or, or yeah, with yeah. casting against against the sort of in a supposed gender of a character. Didn't really understand what it was saying here, though. Mm. I didn't feel, uh, you sort of felt that was a, a decision that had been made without it necessarily feeding through and informing the action in any mm. particular way. Uh, some of the acting was, was great. Uh, I was really impressed with Kibong Tanji, who was an absolute standout as Aaron. Definitely the standout, yes. Oh, she was, she was just this absolute sort of power of the, the centre at the heart. I mean, yeah. Amazing. And she was the sort of um, dramatic pinnacle which we say of this but the comic pinnacle I would say was probably Bo Holland yes who had about sort of seven or eight different characters including very funnily the fly yes and she really made the most of it I yeah. thought she basically sort of pops on as a character gets killed sort of shrugs and yeah. goes off <laughs> yeah. it is it is very funny and it's in a sense you could make a case for it being quite Shakespearean in that she comes out and sort of uh, steals the limelight from absolutely everybody yes, so you might be in the middle of a really brutal murder and then suddenly she comes on and like ha it's yeah. me I'm dead again yeah. uh, that's very funny Kibong Tanji, just to say, Aaron, the character of Aaron is the lover of Queen Tamara, and um, he's a black character. And it's sort of like this character is Othello and Iago rolled into one. Mm. Um, the character is given a great deal, is given grand speeches, mm. but is absolutely also connivingly, oh, desperately evil. Um, it's not. It's not the greatest Shakespeare play, I have to no. say. Like I said, there are reasons why it is not done very often. I always like seeing it because it's sort of, there are there are flashes of brilliance in it. But some of it is hack work. I yes. mean, we should also, it's also quite good to be reminded that Shakespeare at times was a hack yeah. and he probably, he probably was sort of thinking, oh God, got a deadline, you know, got to go put the kids to bed. Yeah. You know, I'll just do another quick, you know. Yeah, it's, it's his first revenge tragedy. It's Obviously, he thought, let's do as much as we can in as short amount of time <laughs> yes. as we can. I mean, at its heart is one of the most horrific crimes, possibly in all of Shakespeare, yeah. to Lavinia. And they, it, it's such a hard one to put on stage as well. And they, they do deal with that pretty well. Yes. I should say, I arrived slightly dreading a almost three-hour you know, torture porn Shakespeare <laughs> after a day's work, I've got yes. to say. But when you're, fir- you're first met with this sort of ballad by... Um, 
Apparently, cabaret stars uh, Bourgeois and Morris. Uh, uh, I apologize if I've butchered their names in any way. but And it, it, it's sort of very funny. And there's lines like, after this show, you'll feel much better about your terrible lives. And, and it's you, very you true. You absolutely do. It's, there's, um, it's something about, let's, well, welcome to a bloodbath. We're going to wash your cares away. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. It's one of the opening and lines. And you think, oh, well, actually, I can. And, and it does make the first half go quickly. I didn't feel bored in it, which was good. But the problem in the second half is that at the stage where the real reckoning, I mean, there's a reckonings all the way through. The sort of broad comedy and Lucy McConnick's Saturninus, mm. so broad, comes up against the absolute horror yes. of the awful, awful things going on. And that's when it sort of creaks for me. I yes, think. yes. In a way, I sort of feel this one is for the completists and the purists, mm. you know, people who have may- maybe never seen it and are curious about it. You do get the beauty of the language. Yes. You do get the brutality of it. Yeah. As I say, for me, a lot of it was muddied by concepts that I think either were not thought through or didn't particularly add to mm. illuminate the play in any mm. way. But, you know, if you've, if you've never seen it, it's here, Titus Andronicus, and a fairly bloodless version of it. After the break, we'll be joined by Rob Madge, who is behind the musical My Sons Are Queer, But What Can You Do? We'll be back after these. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre podcast. We're now joined by the wonderful Rob Madge, whose show My Sons Are Queer, But What Can You Do? is back in the West End. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I saw the show on Saturday and it completely ruined my makeup because I was sobbing by the end. And as was so much of the audience, there was this lovely bear of a man in front of me with tears streaming down his face and it was just absolutely gorgeous. So I just wanted to know kind of how audiences have reacted to you. What have they said to you about the show? I had the most amazing interactions with people that have just seen the show, particularly families. When I first wrote the show, I thought it was for a very niche theatre crowd. We did it to about 40 people in a small theatre called The Turbine. And it was for theatre people that are in the industry. They came to watch it. And now they're bringing their parents and their grandparents. And it's really lovely to meet those people because the show is really a celebration of supportive families. And to have those chats with people and to see whether it resonates or not is always quite special. Tell us a bit about the uh, format of the show or or what sort of form it takes. It's sort of a multimedia musical theatre solo cabaret stand-up comedy piece. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Try fitting that on a poster. I mean, the title's long enough. It's a solo show that incorporates my old home videos of when I used to put on these shows 
stories in my living room. The, the basic plot structure is when I was 12 years old, I put on a Disney parade in my hall, which my father got involved in. And now that I'm 26, I feel like the only logical thing to do is recreate it uh, <laughs> live and in person. And in order to do that, we have to sort of do our actor research and look back on all these old home videos, which I have an archive of. Did you, you, you had access to them anyway? There were, this wasn't a sort of lockdown thing where you went back and plundered the family archive or? Well, it, it actually was a lockdown thing, really, because I was back, found myself back in my family home and I found all of these old home videos that I hadn't, I, I don't remember ever seeing them really. It was probably, it would it'd be over a decade ago that I ever saw them. We dusted off the cobwebs and dad got a VCR off eBay. We didn't know they still existed. <laughs> and, and and then we just watched them and, and found them ridiculous. And then I thought I'd write a show about it. It's absolutely, it, it's such a great story. But I, I saw there are sort of two sides to it, aren't there? It's I mean, it's hilarious. And I do want to talk more about this. It videos, is hilarious. Because they are just <laughs> glorious. Um, but it's also got it's got a kind of hint of the bittersweet, hasn't it? Because there's yeah. a kind of beautiful, sort of strong, unconditional love of your parents, John and Jan. John and Jan. John and Jan and your grandma. Shout out. And they're endlessly <laughs> supportive and kind. But then there's this sort of heartbreaking carelessness from other people, like yeah. most notably teachers. Yes. Who may even think they're being kind, but they're actually kind of crushing what makes you you. That that's exactly it. For me, um, it, it's it's not so much about they said awful things in your life, therefore your life is awful. It's people will say things that they, they don't know how it comes across and it can crush you. But what's most important is that you have that support elsewhere. Um, and, and that is what bolsters you. I believe if you're a bit different, you'll always face people who don't necessarily understand that. People are narrow minded. Unfortunately, there's no signs of that changing anytime soon. However, if you have that support back home or with a strong group of friends or chosen family, you can get by and you can really thrive. And uh, and, and that's where the bittersweetness comes into it, mm. I, I think. Yeah. It, it, is, it is mostly very, very joyful, though, the show. Good. I mean, it's like yeah, the, there's, there's more sparkle than I think I've ever seen, <laughs> even like, you know, 42nd Street or something. It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. But I do often think, just to go back to something you just said, like with, with queer stories, the focus is very often on trauma. Yeah. And so was that a very conscious decision to kind of just because the bits where you say this person said this thing and it hurt, essentially, they're very short and they're 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 quiet, but they're very they're, they're short and then they're surrounded by joy. They're yes. also sometimes very funny. I mean, forgive me if mm. I'm misquoting it, but there's that lovely line where you come out, uh, one of your teachers put on your reports, <laughs> I think uh, Rob should be careful that his facial expressions don't <laughs> alarm his classmates. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hit the nail on the head. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just got could do better at sport and things. You know, I didn't get any sort of comedy gold like that yeah, on my report. They were, yeah. I mean, they wrote it for me. They, they made it so funny. Thank you, teachers. Um, yeah, it was such a conscious decision not to dwell on those moments and to rather flip the coin and say, yeah, bad things will happen. I'm sorry. However, we can move on from it and we can thrive eventually. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's so important for people to see an alternative queer story in, in that sense, because otherwise people that are watching queer stories will think it's only ever going to be devastating and dreadful. And that's not to discount how important those stories are, because that does happen. And we can't forget our history. However, we also need to move forward. 
And I don't think we ever will if we don't see that other side of the coin. Could I ask a bit about uh, what being non-binary means to you and at yeah. what stage you, you realised it and uh, how looking back on those videos informed it as well, particularly? <laughs> it's so interesting you say that because when I look back on the videos, I think, oh, actually, for me, it was never about sexuality. I think people often assign sexuality onto people based on things which I actually associate more with gender identity, such as... I love to wear dresses and I love to wear wigs and wear makeup and I wear heels on nights out. <laughs> and people would often look at that and think, oh, that makes you a, a gay man. For me, I don't see why we associate clothes with who you want to fall in love with. So that was really an eye opener for me. And it was all over lockdown when I think we all had time to stop and ask questions about the world and ourselves and we had nothing else to do did we and I, um, <laughs> I really did some deep introspective thought and I just I, I just read a book called In Their Shoes uh, by Jamie Windus which I just it was for the first time ever I, I read a book where I thought it didn't teach me anything it, it I, I felt like I was in a conversation with someone going oh my goodness yes I I totally agree, but you've just articulated exactly what I've been feeling but haven't been able to. And then I just thought I'd roll with it and tell people about it. And actually, I, I think it's much simpler than anyone makes it out to be. It's just a, another way of expressing yourself. Mm, yes, yeah. Do people misgender you or is that... I mean, I mean, yeah, because yeah, pronouns are, are, are a really tricky thing, aren't they? Um, so yeah, that does happen. I'm always lucky to be actually surrounded with people who... If they do get it wrong, they correct themselves instantly. They apologise. I've never actually um, met anybody in person other than evil people on Twitter. Mm, um, obviously. Who yeah. are always anonymous. But of in course. person, I've never actually met anyone who would disagree with me or, or try and teach me that I'm not non-binary. I've, I've, I've been surrounded with people that... Um, that just try their best to accept and understand and learn. And, and that's all we can hope for at this stage, I think. It's quite, it's, it's quite interesting um, thinking how far I feel that the West End has come in terms of diversity and acceptance mm. in that you're in the West End, Emma Corrin is in the West End, yeah. also non-binary. Um, these are the different stories seem to be coming through. Do you feel that's the case? Is there, is there yeah. a greater openness? I do. I think it's a really exciting time and I don't see any going backwards. Uh, luckily, there's such a backlash, I feel, whenever the non-binary um, thing is, is spoken about publicly. I, I think of the Joan of Arc uh, at the Globe. But again, it seems to mostly be online. And I don't think that's actually translating to the real world. I think there's a real hunger for these stories and audiences are showing up and people are really invested. I think um, that Joan, just to, to, the, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because the the main backlash to that happened before anyone had seen it. Yes. And then when the reviews came out, everyone was like, oh, this is really good. It's really good. Yeah. It's <laughs> yes. great play. Well, yeah. Wonderful. The exact same for me. The people that hate it have got no idea what the show is. Yeah. They see the title and presume that, I don't know, well, it's, whatever it's a sensitive it is that... word, isn't it, for some people? Yeah. But I must apologise. I didn't see you in the Palladium Panto this year, oh. I'm afraid. But uh, tell us how you played uh, the cow. Oh. In... <laughs> yeah. So I was Dawn French's cow pat, <laughs> was my name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was just the campest thing I've ever done. I played a cow called Pat who desperately wanted to be on the West End. So cue many a pasture related musical theatre pun one of my songs was I creamed a cream in time gone by <laughs> um, so that sort of tells you all you need to know excellent I'm doubly sorry that I missed it now. <laughs> um, I know you wanted to talk a bit more about the home video yeah I did you, I just want to express to people who are listening 
how glorious these home videos of this little 12-year-old child, like bossing. So do you do you use, when you talk about your younger self, little Rob, do you use he or they? Oh, I've never actually really thought about that. So use whatever you like. Okay, so this little this little little boy, yeah, um, running about bossing his family around like the worst nightmare of a West End director. <laughs> Your poor father being a bit rubbish at Bell, funnily enough, Dreadful. and you being you listened, so Dad? cross <laughs> you with him. Awful. It was so <laughs> so funny. I mean, did you recognise that that child when you watched them again? Yeah, sadly yeah. I did. <laughs> I'd love to say no, I've grown up. Your inner child is very close to the surface. It's I true. And in rehearsals for this show, every now and then my director's gone, oh, little Rob's coming out. And I've gone, no. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank Lovely you to meet you, Rob. Thanks and so you. much. Thank I just you. wanted to let everyone know that um, My Sons Are Queer, But What Can You Do is running at the Ambassadors Theatre until March the 18th, and you should absolutely see it because it is a joy. You should. Drumroll, please. Drumroll, please. <laughs> After the break, what did we think about the Layman trilogy? If you're enjoying the show and want to hear more, go on. Hit follow and subscribe. 
and it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I'm, by the way, well gel that the two of you <laughs> saw it last night at the press night. I'm seeing it next week, but I did see it the first time around uh, when it was at the, where was it first? National Theatre. National, wasn't it? Yeah, so I saw it at the National before it then went into the West End. And even though it's three hours 20 and it has like two intervals, actually, it to me, I remember it really not feeling too long. You yeah. know how sometimes like really long things can make you want to die. I have to admit, I went to see Sleeping Beauty at the Royal Ballet a couple of weeks ago, and by the time the sort of bluebird came out for its third <laughs> prance about, I was <laughs> desperately, desperately wanting to leave. But seeing something like this, it's just, it doesn't feel too long. It never sags, it never drags, really, I think. Uh, also, this week, the Young Vickers announced a 24-hour play starring Ruth Wilson, <laughs> so it's a bit like Ruth Wilson, the Young Vic, going, hold my beer, Lumen Trilogy. <laughs> this is a long play. But uh, yeah, uh, Nick, I didn't think this, this didn't sag for me at all, did Not it? At I remember going to see Angels in America and thinking at the end, okay, it's really good, but boy, was that an ordeal. <laughs> that was a you know real, real numbing experience. Whereas this, I, I, actually, it left me wanting more, mm. which for a three-hour 20, 20 play doesn't happen very often at all. I, In fact, some even left the theatre thinking there could be more about the collapse at the end because it really front loads it, doesn't it? Does. it? Obviously, the story of the three brothers is what really, really draws you in. But actually, towards the end, a lot of people will know about the financial crisis, but probably thinking, I don't know enough. Yes, yes. So <laughs> it's, it's weird. It sort of breaks down. In, well, it is a trilogy. So naturally, it breaks down into three parts. The first part is effectively about the brothers establishing the business, building it up. Uh, then about the, I, I think it's fair to say, the sort of turn of the century and the passing of the baton on to the next generation, their sons. Uh, this is a very male play, it has to be said. It's three men, mostly acting men, sometimes acting women in a slightly... Uh, simpering way. Um, and then the, the the final third basically goes from the Wall Street crash up to the 2008 financial crash Pretty in quick. about 45 minutes. <laughs> Pretty quick. So yeah, there's there's a lot to pack in there, as they say. And there is a lot in this show. Let's face mm. it, 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 it isn't just the story of Lehman. It's effectively the story of the American dream and Western capitalism yeah, in absolutely. three hours, 20 minutes. So, I mean, there's, there's there's a lot going on. Well, it's sort of the birth of belief in the monetary system, investing in things that you can't see or touch. It starts with them investing in cotton. They they hold it in the hand, they give it to people, they buy and sell mm. it. That's sort of the birth of the middleman, of the trader. But actually, by the end of it, and they keep, the, the, there's this motif constantly going through it. Believe me, one yes. of the youngest brothers says, believe me and trust me, and people do. But by the end, it sort of starts with the railways when they can't see any railways in front of them. Yes. They don't know what they're investing in. And, and that's when you start thinking this trust is going to get eroded and we're going to end up in 2008. Yes, yes, where absolutely. Where there were people investing in things. They had absolutely no idea what they were and pretty much didn't exist. Yeah. There's um, a pivot point early on, quite early on, isn't there, where they say, what is your key product? And the elder Lehman brother says, Money. So they they make money from money. They invest money in money and they stop dealing in products. Um, and it becomes conceptual. And it's tied quite cleverly in this to the fact that the brothers arrive as quite devout observant Jews from the old world, from Europe. Um, so to begin with, they, they observe a lot of ritual, a lot of tradition. And by the end of it, I think literally Lehman becomes too big to accommodate this. When they when they start off, they're running a general store in 
Mississippi? No. In Alabama. Alabama, thank you, yes. And they, they touch the lintel. They, so they sort of touch their fingers to their lips and they touch the lintel every time they go in. Literally, the business gets too big for them to do that or to maintain the traditions or the faith that they used to have. Well, they sit shiver for the first brother for a week. The they business do. closes for the first time for a week. Yes. It's never closed before. And then by the time the sun dies, it's three minutes. It's three minutes and then ultimately so, they, they don't close. Yeah. Because, they, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. because by that stage, everything is globalized and there's there's just no space for these old, uh, old beliefs old tradition. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, I mean, it's this extra, I mean, the adaptation is brilliant. The words are fantastic. Ben Powers done an incredible job and Sam Mendes' choreography. It's just in the hands of a master. It is expert the way they move around. The set moves, they move. It's extraordinary. Mm. But what was really interesting to me was you've got the, you're really invested in these guys' story. This, these three brothers who come over. But what you realize is, and they don't make a play of it, but their investments all the way from the beginning are absolutely the least ethical things that you could possibly. It <laughs> yes, starts with cotton true. off the backs of slavery, yep. goes through tobacco, arms, nuclear, yes. you know, everything. And then you dodgy financial products. Yeah, so, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes, financial articles or whatever they call and them. And yet you're still sort of, because these characters are so richly drawn, you're with them, you're right in the, you know, because it is the story of a family. It's a rags to riches story. It's all those things that you, with characters that you do sort of sympathize with. But by the end, and that's partly as well why I think we need a little bit more the financial crash. Um, the, 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 the key thing about this play and the key difference between the Italian original and this one is that it is performed by three actors in black frock coats and three and, 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 and trousers. They play, as, as one of my, uh, as a critic on another newspaper pointed out, one of the beautiful things about it is that the original brothers are always there, even though the actors then go on to play the brothers' wives or their sons or nephews and lots of other characters. There's always this shadow of the original three who moved out in the 1840s there, which is a masterly stroke. It's a celebration of actually skill and particularly of, of character actors. Uh, the three cast members are Michael Balogun, Hadley Fraser and Nigel Lindsay. I remember at the Evening Standard Theatre Awards years ago, Nigel Lindsay complained to me saying, there's no awards for character actors, there's no awards for character actors. And uh, you sort of feel this is a bid for an award for character actors. I completely. I mean, what, I remember what struck me the first time I saw it was it, it is such an ensemble piece, isn't it? It's like you need three actors all at the top of their game, but all equally good. And they weave together something kind of magic. There's no star in this show. There's mm. no kind of gold thread shot throughout. It's just a beautiful tapestry and, and they and they all have equal part in it. They do. And yes. they bring their own energy to it. They're very different. Even when they're inhabiting the different characters, they're absolutely their own characters. I mean, uh, Nigel Lindsay, sort of, you feel in safe hands with him. He's the patriarch. He's the first one to arrive on stage. And he's brilliant. Yes. And the fact that that character sort of, even after his death, is sort of in the background narrating quite a lot. And you think, oh, okay, I'm in safe hands here. Whereas... Um, Hadley Fraser, the younger uh, brother, is, has that sort of young, vivacious energy. And Michael Balligan, the arm they describe him, is, is, is that sort of power. The, the, yes. You know, and he's brilliant. He's he is. raw brilliance. I really Can I just say, it. I think that if, nobody, if, somebody, if anyone hasn't read the brilliant interview that Nick did with Michael Balligan, which ran in the paper last Friday, it is online and it is such a good read. He has got the most incredible story and he's such a great actor. You have to read that. Absolutely. He does. And he's, he's wonderful in this. As you say, you described him as the arm. They're, they're nicknamed. So Henry, the older brother, is, is nicknamed the head and he is the sort of patriarch of the family and the, very much the sort of guiding, uh, guiding 
interesting intelligence behind the business initially. Uh, and then Balogun plays Emmanuel, who is the arm. He's the fixer. He's the enforcer. He's the, the sort of one who goes ahead and does things. And uh, Mayer, the youngest, had your phrase, isn't it? And the potato. Yes. Because he's <laughs> smooth-skinned and young and sort of uh, um, the, the others rather patronise him. Although he's the sort of charmer, isn't he? He's the he? charmer. And he ends up being the sort of, uh, you know, his, his potato face charm facilitates <laughs> a lot of the, uh, the, the sort of progress that the, that the company between makes. Between the two, he mediates between the two, between he does. the head and the arm. Between the head argue. and the arm. I wanted to talk a little bit about the staging and the set, as well as lots of observance to the sort of, or, or lip service paid to the founding myths of America and the immigrant dream and the idea of coming and, you know, creating yourself. In the new world, there's quite a aliveness to American culture, not just consumer culture, but the artistic life of America. There's a huge Cinerama-style screen behind the main set, which shows you vistas of the Atlantic Ocean uh, and of Alabama and then of the changing skyline of New York as it grows up and up and up. Uh, there's a live piano accompaniment throughout, mm. which is like, I mean, do people even remember silent film piano It's very silent film, it's isn't it? It's very silent really film. Just on the side, plinky-plonking away on the side. It's fantastic. There's a lovely moment where one of the brothers goes a-courting, I think, or maybe he's, he's, he's trying to do a deal, and uh, the man's daughter is playing, and That's suddenly right. the pianist starts playing sort of chopsticks. Or, <laughs> or the That's very funny. That, which is very funny, very beautifully done. The set is basically Lehman Brothers' 2008 office. Yeah. Those boxes are used as props from anything from chairs to, you know, whatever else yeah. from 1860 onwards, you're always reminded that this is the end point. Yes. So even when they start and they're getting off the boat, they're stood in an office. I mean, Ed Devlin is a, is a brilliant, brilliant designer and multiple winner of Evening Standard Theatre Awards, I believe, in the past. But uh, I love the fact, in, in terms of that being the end point of capitalism, that set is all corner offices. You know, mm. the, the, the aspiration of everybody in corporate culture is you get the corner office with floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking the East River or the Hudson. And that's what this set sums up just in an instant. You walk in and you go, yes, it's absolutely that. But it's also the shack in, you know, yes. in Main Street, uh, Montgomery, Alabama, um, where they're just selling raw cotton. Selling, yeah, rolls of fabric. Yeah. So I think it, it, it just meshes beautifully together, doesn't it? The design, the performances, the editing of the script, the layering of the narratives in it, you know, the personal story with the economic story and the and the history. You know, we, we do cover two world wars in this and the Wall Street crash and the 2008 financial crash too. Um, so there's a, a, just a vast sweep in this this space, I think, from the, from the personal to the epic. I think it's a wonderful piece and of And in other hands, it could have been disastrous. <laughs> it could have been a mind-numbing night at the theatre, but they've really understood that telling that story through these three brothers and onwards and their descendants, you're so invested in this. Even if, in speaking to Michael Balligan, he said before he'd seen it, he thought, a play about banking, I'm not sure I'm up for that. <laughs> and yes. actually... It isn't. It isn't. I mean, it is, it but is, it is very it is much that, isn't. And it is so much more. Yeah, so uh, unlucky, Nancy, that you haven't seen it yet yeah. this time well, round. Next week, I'm seeing it for actual fun. <laughs> also, it's on until the 20th of May at the Gillian Lynn Theatre, and everyone needs to get tickets because that is a short season. That's it for this episode of the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis. I'm Nancy Doran. And I'm Nick Clark. We'll be back next Sunday. Make sure you hit rate, follow and leave us a review.